Today I'm talking to Tone Vase. He is an expert in the crypto sphere. He is a Bitcoin maximalist. We're going to talk about how to become successful in crypto, how to succeed in blockchain. There's a lot more to it. Tone, thank you for doing this. We really appreciate it. Uh, no, thanks, Paul. This sounds like it's going to be a very fun podcast. Yeah, we, we already started hitting it off before we even started, so I'm really looking forward to this. So, Tone, you worked in Wall Street. You are an advisor. You do technical analysis. What drove you? What, what, what made Tone Vase Tone Vase? Wow. Um, uh, I don't even know how to make it short. The thing is... I. I don't even know if I'm successful yet. It's still debatable. Mm -hmm. um, I can tell you how I got here and it's not really up to me uh, to decide if I'm successful. There's also, we have to talk about what is success. Uh, to many people, success is financial, but I wasn't financially motivated when I came into the crypto space coming out of Wall Street. And right now, the thing that I'm mostly known for is trading and price predictions, yet I am too busy to trade on my own advice. <laughs> and a lot of people, you know, have a problem with this. And my, one of my, I have multiple answers to combat the trolls. And one of those answers is, if all I cared about was money, I would have stayed on Wall Street and worked my way up the food chain. Because I quit a $150,000 a year job. And for two years, I made no income. Even like my family was like giving me a hard time saying, what are you going to do? Why are you making these YouTube videos? Uh, how are you going to make money? And my answer was, I don't know, but my popularity is growing so quickly. Yeah. I, there has to be a monetization way at some point later on, I don't know what it is yet, but I will figure it out. I have to figure it out because you don't just become insanely popular over a couple of years span and not have the ability to monetize. And also, you know, you got to be kind of smart. I had a plan when I was coming into crypto uh, to kind of, I, I merged all of my education and knowledge, right? I started out as a teacher. Uh, back in university, um, I started out as uh, one of my jobs was a tutor. Another job was a driver. I had three jobs while I was at the you know, while I was an undergrad. I was a tutor. I was a driver. Um, at, like at night, there was like one of these like you know um, uh, like safety vans thing, you know, so that like you know single girls or like a group uh, group right. of two girls don't walk across campus alone at night. So there were like these like free service from the university. Uh, so I was a driver. That was a job. And I was um, a referee for sports because I was a pretty good athlete. I played a lot of sports and I'm like, hey, here's a way to make money. So I had three jobs. I, I only had two of the jobs at the same time. Uh, but those were my three jobs in undergrad. So when I came out of college, I was a teacher. So I was very good at explaining stuff. But there was no money there. So I got a master's degree in financial engineering and I went out and started working on Wall Street. Good money there. Um, I, I, I still got to use my skills as an educator because my job was working with developers, even though I was not a very good developer. 
but I was good at communicating with developers and I understood development enough. And if I was more motivated to be a, a, a coder, I could have been a coder. I knew how to code. I just didn't like it. Mm. But um, my, my interest at the time when I was working on Wall Street and we were building risk models, but my interest was uh, trading. So I'd always study trading and I would be trading on my own time with my own money. So those were my interests. And when the Bitcoin world came along, I said, hey, how do I like utilize everything that I have learned in my 30 years or more, I was over 30 at the time. How do I put everything that I've learned throughout my life and put it into something I enjoy? And that's when I started speaking and writing articles. And the irony is I was a math and science major because mm -hmm. I would fail English in high school. And I was like terrible at English. Like, like, like I, I think to this day, I've read about three novels in my life. Like reading and writing was, was something that like, it, it was... It was like an allergy. Like, I don't want to read and I don't want to write. And then all of a sudden, I'm writing articles in the Bitcoin space yeah. because I am writing about something I enjoy. And I went in there and I did a couple of things right. I wanted to brand myself. So I was coming into the space in 2013 and um, I'm like, I want to be known. It's such a small space. Like, you know, you're coming into a small space. If you do things right, you want to be globally recognized and you can make yourself globally recognized within a few years because it's such a small space. If you are right about the future of that space and I'm like, okay, well, um, there was already an Anthony in the space that's famous. That would be Anthony DiOrio, co-founder of Ethereum, runs Decentral out in Canada. All right, so uh, when someone says the word Anthony, um, names taken. All right, Tony. Well, there was a Tony Gallippi, CEO and founder of BitPay, one of the probably the five biggest companies in the space. You know, the moment you say, hey, Tony's coming, everyone assumes it's Tony Gallippi. There's the only Tony in the space. All right, so what can I do? So one of the things that I also used to do in college was I was a DJ on the college radio station. I clearly was doing a lot. Like, I'm a, yeah. I, I don't home and do nothing. I always have hobbies. I always had a million things to do. And I was DJ Tone. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to be Tone. So I came into the space, uh, started calling myself Tone instead of Tony or Anthony. Uh, Tone Vase, nice short name. And that became the brand. And wow. I even started out with a website, Liberty Life Trail. And earlier this year, I decommissioned it. I rebranded. Tonevase, tonevase.com, tonevase on Twitter, tonevase YouTube channel. I'm the brand because I don't work for anyone. I speak my mind and that's what made me popular. I came into the space saying, hey, everyone thinks that the Wall Street guys are pretty much crooks. Yeah. But they're not. They're not. They fall into groupthink like everybody else in every single industry. Nobody at Bear Stearns wanted to lose their job. I didn't want to lose my job at Bear Stearns. Nobody at Lehman Brothers wanted to lose their job. 
These guys are making over $100,000. They have families, they have kids. Sure, maybe those kids go to private school because they're making good money. Why do you want to lose your job? Nobody wanted to take those kinds of risks. Um, everyone has this view of Wall Street, like, you know, Wolf of Wall Street, partying and doing drugs yeah. all day. That's not true at all. Like, um, uh, in my in nine years on Wall Street, in my, in, in my circles, I never saw a single person do drugs. It only took about three weeks in the crypto space. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just a complete misconception. And uh, so, um, so, so that's what I did. I said, hey, I want to do what I really like. I really like teaching. I have a 15 years experience in technical analysis. I have a professional background that I can leverage. So I got to speak at my first conference just because I emailed the conference saying, hey, I'm a Wall Street guy that has been in the crypto space for a year and I can handle myself on stage because of my experience of being a teacher and a college adjunct professor and all that stuff. I got a speaking gig, I did well. I got more speaking gigs, I got more interviews and I just let, you know, I took it slow. Uh, one of the things that a lot of people, uh, a lot of YouTubers have this problem. They have so much to say and they start a YouTube channel, but nobody listens to them because nobody knows they exist. And then they get disappointed and discouraged so quickly. And the other thing that they do is they start, you know, messaging prominent people like myself included now to help promote them. And it's really not our job to promote them. I did it all myself because I had reasonable expectations. I'm okay. Let me speak at a conference every now and then. Let me write some articles. Let me be a guest. I was a guest on at least 20 YouTube channels. I then became a consistent guest on somebody else's YouTube channel. I did not start my YouTube channel until hundreds of people were texting me, asking me to start my own YouTube channel. And I finally start my YouTube channel and the, and the very first episode to this day only has 800 views. Meanwhile, the channel that I was on twice a week was getting like 10,000 views mm -hmm. uh, or more. And all of those were my followers. And I'm like, wow, I was so disappointed that my first episode only had 300 views within the first 48 hours. And I'm like, where are you people? Yeah. I was popular. You know who I am. How are you not going to my channel? But I started with 300. People start with three. And then their second episode is five. And then eight views. And the problem that a lot of YouTubers have is they want to get their best thinking out in the very first episode. Yeah. But there's no there to hear them. And it's a big chicken and egg problem. So I did a couple of things right, even by accident. Just, I didn't have experience in the space, but it's just, I'm like, who's going to watch me? I had low, I had realistic, I don't want to say low expectations. I had realistic expectations. I was building it out, building it out. And I'm doing it today as well uh, because I speak fluent Russian and I never really utilized, uh, never really utilized uh, my Russian speaking ability. So, um, what I decided to do was, Hey, let me join a Russian established YouTube channel 
and be a consistent guest on that channel and build an audience, build an audience until I feel that I'm ready for my own channel and that audience would go there. I don't want to start a Russian speaking YouTube channel if my first video does not have a thousand organic views, organic. I've yeah. been very critical of other YouTubers and I'm like, I know my numbers are real, legit and honest. And I see some guys coming into the space. They've been in the space for three months. They have almost as many YouTube followers, subscribers as I do. I go and look at their first episode and it has like 2000 views. And yeah. I'm like, no, that's no, bullshit. Like that. That's <laughs> bullshit. That is bullshit. 5,000 people knew who I was and I only had 300 views and nobody knew who you were and you have 2,000? No, 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 no. It takes time. It, it does take time. So I actually know this from, from my YouTube channel um, because I used to have, um, I used to do a YouTube channel as an entertainer and so forth, but my YouTube channel grew slowly as well. I mean, I only have 1,600 subscribers right now. But you know what? It's not who, how many views you get, it's who views them. Uh, and it depends on what niche you're in. So if I was doing a blog, you have like thousands of viewers all the time, if it was a daily blog and so forth. But in something like sales and marketing, I'm, like, I'm competing people like Ty Lopez and Grant Cardone. It's a very big difference in you know, doing daily vlogs and being consistent in that. But yeah, I totally understand it. Uh, what drove you to succeed? What drove you to get where you are? The driving force behind the move, if you will. I think it was more of a, I think it was more of a challenge. It was a challenge. It was, I, I, I tend to get bored with things. I mean, this is why my major was geology. Didn't really like geology. Then I was a teacher, didn't like teaching. Then I went to Wall Street. I, did, I, I thought I was going to be a programmer. I didn't like programming. I really liked trading, but I was always a little too distracted, always had other things. Uh, my hobby, while I was on Wall Street and a side trader, my hobby was diet and exercise. I was uh, uh, really getting into that, reading a lot of um, stuff about you know, optimizing my diet. Uh, had a I was in really good shape. And, um, and all that went out the window because Bitcoin is so time consuming. And it's the challenge of it all. And right now, I feel like the Bitcoin space needs me and my content. And um, I bring something different to the space. I think the crypto space is full of scammers. Whether they know they're scammers or they will find out that they're scammers is debatable. Uh, if they know that they're scamming. But the space is so full of scammers. Yeah. And as long as I feel that the crypto space needs me and my content, that's what keeps me motivated. Um, I get as many, um, a lot of people don't like me because I'm honest about my thoughts on the price of Bitcoin. And for, since January, I've been saying that, hey, the price of Bitcoin is going to keep falling. In fact, it hasn't been falling as fast as I've been expecting it to fall. I thought we would be lower by now in the price of Bitcoin. And so many people are telling me that it's my fault that the Bitcoin price is falling. If only I was more positive about it, right? And it's like ridiculous. So um, I get mo I, sometimes I get motivated by the trolls. Sometimes I get you know annoyed and discouraged by the trolls. Like, why the hell am I doing this? Like, I don't have to do this. I can always just quit and start trading my own money, other people's money. It doesn't matter. Um, but the more people tell you. Um, you can't or shouldn't do something, 
the more I want to prove them wrong and do it. Yeah. So that's one of my biggest motivations. And as long as I feel that the crypto space needs me to do this content, I will keep doing it. Eventually, that's going to end. And uh, my brain is already thinking, I know I'm going to get tired of it, right? And um, because there are like, I don't know how, well, uh, you know how people are like, oh my God, this guy is so famous. He's a famous athlete. He's a famous actor, you know, uh, you name it, famous musician. Why would you throw your life away and do drugs? Why yeah. would you throw your life away and do something stupid? And you know what? You, you don't understand until you're there. And I'm not even close to there. I mean, we're talking, you pick, you know, your run-of-the-mill app, like not even the top athlete, right? You pick an average, you know, athlete that people know. I, my popularity is maybe 5% of that. And I completely understand why these guys turn to drugs, why these guys turn to crazy lifestyles, because you just want to get away from, you know, everybody messaging you, everybody wanting stuff from you, Yeah. right? And like in, in my case, it's not so much family. Uh, I mean, my family was a family of immigrants. I mean, we didn't have any money. Uh, me and my sister did okay. But my parents have always kind of struggled. Um, uh, I mean, uh, my I remember when I was going to junior high school to high school, I had like two pairs of jeans, right? Like, uh, didn't have any money. Like, uh, I didn't have my first car until I was like a junior in college. And it was, uh, a, it was a 1980s car, right? And I was in college in the, like 99, right? Like, my car was like 12 years old. It was like barely going down the street and I loved it, right? Because I finally had a car. Like, didn't have any money. I didn't grow up broke, grew up poor. And um, so, but my family did okay and I, I don't have a big family. So family is a, my family has no clue what I do, by the way. Uh, not a single member of my family has never watched a single one of my videos from start <laughs> to finish. Not one. And I've done probably over 500 videos. You know, it's funny. Uh, it's funny because I wrote two books. My girlfriend never, hasn't read either, and she's in them. <laughs> I think my dad read one of my books. <laughs> so now that's like, like, like some of these things are like really, really amazing. But I understand people are busy, right? But yeah. going back to that, the, to that concept of like, I completely understand why famous people end up overdosing on drugs because they want to just find a way to be outside of checking their cell phone i've seen it man i've worked with with artists i've uh, I, I was a, a video director i was um i don't like talking about myself so much. i was in the celebrity zone and i was also um an mc for a while and i've worked as a manager and as a consultant with a lot of artists as a matter of fact i'm consulting a major artist right now international and i've seen it happen I've actually seen it happen, and um, it, it's interesting. And as for the books we were saying, uh, it's funny. The people that have actually read my books, they're people that are already successful, even though the book is How to Become Successful. <laughs> and the people that read the sales book I wrote are people that are already top closers, not people that need it. It's funny. It's, it's, it's... And this is where I wanted to ask you. you. You seem to have a lot of knowledge in marketing, branding, and so forth, but yet you didn't like to read. I would like to ask you where you get that, well, how you learned that, 
And also, if you can come forward a little bit, because I think the sunlight is... Um... Yeah, I got to... Hold on. Let me close the blinds. Give me one second here. Okay. Oh, I actually forgot to clip on. I forgot to clip on my mic. My audio okay. could have been better. One okay. By the way, if you're watching this, go ahead and check out Tony's channel. What I'm Tone's channel. What I'm gonna do is put the link in the description down below, and don't forget to subscribe so you can learn when the new book, my book, featuring Tone Vays and other leading people in industries, in that book, and how you can become successful. So uh, go ahead, subscribe to the channel below, and don't forget to hit that bell notification button so you don't miss anything, and check out Tone's links in the description down below. Welcome back. <laughs> hey man, yeah, and here's the thing, right? So I'm, I'm in Riga, Latvia. It's funny that you mentioned that the, the light was very annoying. So I've been in Riga, Latvia for now, I, I think I've been here a week. Mm -hmm. I've had this apartment for about five days. This is the first time I'm in this apartment during the day. I had no idea I was going to have a light problem. It's an Airbnb. I've been here um, since Monday. Today's Thursday. I'm checking out tomorrow. I didn't even know that my windows were facing the sun because I have, you know, because I'm not home. I've seen like, you I'm always doing house. something live or going somewhere. Right. Yeah. It's crazy. It, yeah. Right. And I mean, you. You can't be lazy. You can't, like, I've met so many people that have some of the best ideas and they're just lazy. They just can't get them done. I mean, I have a lot of ideas as well and I just give them away because, look, I can't get them done. I'm busy enough as it is. Please, just if you become successful, like, remember me where the idea came from and that's all I really want. But um, when you ask me about branding, you know what? I never learned it. I was just doing it myself. And what I, I think what made me stand out of, of, amongst my peers was my was me being genuine and honest. Mm. Like people can say what they want about me, but no one is gonna call me, you know, a liar or, uh, hey, this guy, you know, deleted something that he's done. Uh, this guy is, you know, said this before, and now he's pretending he's never said it. You know, I've always, you know, admitted my mistakes. I've always been public about everything. I have a very clean past, you know, good luck doing a background search on me to try and, you know, find something to, in my history to get me on. And, um, and that, that, that's what made me stand out. The fact that I knew I had a clean, no like crazy skeletons mm -hmm. in my closet allowed me to speak my mind and you know go after people call them scammers call out their projects um it allowed me to do that because they have nothing in my past they can you know let's say blackmail me with or they can ruin me with because of my past um that helped me a lot in doing what i'm doing and a lot of people have a problem with that like a lot of people um they're either afraid to be successful because of their past or uh, they become successful and then their past comes back to bite them. Yeah. Uh, so because my past was so clean, I was very comfortable going out there and actually challenging people. Um, also, again, the, the, I, I picked the crypto space because it was small. I knew that... Uh, like, um, I, I think I'm a pretty smart guy, you know. Uh, I think I'm smarter than the average person walking down the street. And uh, it shows that, I mean, again, I have a 
two bachelor degrees, a master degree. And this is where people say, it's like, oh, the degree doesn't mean anything. Um, no, it still means something, it does. right? It does if you can it do does. it. It does, because there's this fallacy. And I hate this. I deal with this fallacy constantly. I'm sure you've run into it as well. Well, Zuckerberg quit college yeah. and Bill Gates uh, quit or didn't go to college. And um, uh, what's his name? Steve Jobs quit or didn't go to college. So if I don't go to college, I will also be successful, right? It, 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 works, it works the other way around. The reason why those guys didn't go to college is because it was a joke to them. It was too easy for them. It wasn't challenging them. If you find university challenging, you're not Steve Jobs. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, it yeah. has to be too easy for you. Now, maybe not all of it. I always struggle with writing. I, I am the slowest reader known to man. I am the worst speller known to man. But you put me in a math class, you put me in a physics class, even basic programming, I dominate it. Mm. Uh, I'm like, well, how about you give me something that I actually have to think about, you know? Like, I'm not saying everything in your university has to be a joke to you. But yeah. something in your university has to be a joke to you. And then you got to build on that. You build on, uh, on what you're good at and you fake the other stuff until you, with age, you find a way to get around it. Back when yeah. I was in university, there was, no, there was almost no such thing as books on tape. Now it's simple, right? I mean, technology, eventually, when you know your weaknesses, there will always be technology to assist you with those weaknesses. And if there isn't, you got a billion dollar business on your hands. Yeah. If you got a weakness, if you are, if you are excelling at X and you got a huge weakness in Y and you can't find a technology to resolve your Y weakness, you have a, an amazing business plan and you don't even know it. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny you should say that because I, I never even finished high school. I was kicked out a couple of times and I never bothered finishing. I used to read a lot though, and I do read a lot. But, um, you know, most people, should, they should stay in college. They should learn. And a lot of times I wished I stayed. And, and you know what? All these new gurus right now, like, oh, you don't need college. You don't teach you anything. Yes, but not everyone's cut out to be an entrepreneur. You know, if you quit college and you sit at home eating right. McDonald's, watching yeah. TV all day or watching YouTube, trying to learn, it doesn't work that way. Most people should stay in college. I'm just saying, your odds are better. <laughs> your, your, your odds are better. And the thing is, it does teach you about life. Yeah. Uh, the biggest, I, I, didn't, I didn't learn much uh, from my universities other than, like, life. Um, you know, you learn how to manage time. You learn how to cooperate with people. You learn what you're good at. You, you, you're supposed to learn what you're good at, right? Uh, I mean, that's what it's supposed to bring you. So going back to the other side of it, I came up through Wall Street. Um, I thought I was a pretty smart guy. Um, there was a, I wasn't the best, you know, I wasn't the best analyst. I, wa I wasn't the best anything on, at my job, at my office on Wall Street. 
But here's where, here's where I succeeded uh, in my nine years of Wall Street. I was responsible. I was punctual. I was at work on time. I stayed late when I needed to stay late. I never made the same mistake twice. Mm. And this is important. And, and I've been a manager as well. Like anyone can make mistakes. I mean, there are mistakes that cost millions of dollars, in which case it's time to let you go, right? Yeah. But 90% of mistakes are not that big a deal. But the thing is, the, even if the mistake is a not big deal mistake, but it's a silly, stupid mistake, and then you make it again three months later, if I'm your boss, that's a fireable offense. Yeah. Like if you just did the same stupid thing you did a month ago, that's bad. You can make any other mistake, just not but that not one. the same mistake. So I was excellent at not repeating my mistakes. I was always available. Like there were a bunch of people for my boss and he knew I was the most dependable. Maybe not the smartest, maybe not the one that's going to get it done, but I'm the one he can text on Saturday and I'm the first one to reply. Nice. So, so you over-delivered, um, yeah. over if you will. Let me ask you something, Tom. They say, on that note, they say you need to fail in order to succeed. How do you handle failure? I don't think you need to fail in order to succeed. Mm -hmm. I really don't. At least not fail completely. Um... <sighs> That's a hard question. You see, one of my problems is that when I find something challenging, I just, I, I don't end up finishing and I end up finding something else. Like I've, I've walked away from a lot of projects and I don't know if you consider that a failure or not. No, not really. I mean, look at- uh, right. just It's the, not the borderline. Keep going, right? Right. The path might change. It's, on the, it's on the border of things. Hmm. Um, do I think you need to totally fail and screw up a company in order to be successful at the next company? I don't think so. I mean, I'd rather hire a CEO that had three successful companies versus three successes and one giant failure, hmm. right? Now, I do think that uh, small failures are necessary uh small ones uh so for example i'm a trader mm. i tend the 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 more con the, the more successful trades i have in a row the more cocky i get and the more dangerous my trades become and it's really important that if you are that if you're one of these people that that gains confidence from successes that you occasionally have a small failed trade because yeah. otherwise one of these trades, if you keep doing them right and you keep doubling down, it's going to wipe you out and you don't want it to wipe you out. Now, yeah. if you're the kind of person that understands and doesn't increase uh, with success, then it's not a problem. But if your personality that gains 
more and more confidence and takes on more and more risk with every success, then a small failure, but not a catastrophic failure, is absolutely necessary because it will make you rethink what you're doing uh, and get you back into the right groove. So it really depends on the type of person you are. And I'm still one of those people that, you know, when I'm up, you know, one or 200% at a blackjack table, I will start to raise my bet. You know, when I'm, and that's happened many times and I've paid for it, right? And um, when I'm at a poker table, if I'm, I've played a few poker tournaments back in the day, I'm at a poker table, it's a 10 table tournament, seven table tournament. There is a very high probability, above 50%, that I am making it to that final table, but I've never won. Um, I start to play a little loose, start to get a little cocky and I always pay for it. Right. But they're not catastrophic mistakes. They're not mistakes. They're going to wipe me out and set me back years. You know, they'll set me back a week. They'll set me back two weeks. Right. They're not catastrophic. So it really depends on the person. And I, I, I don't believe that you have to fail to succeed. It really depends on what type of personality you have during, your, during the succeeding stage. Well, there's also failure that you're not in control of. I mean, I, um, okay, you can argue that I, I, I almost went bankrupt quite a few times in my life. You can argue I was in control of that. I was stupid. I admit that. But there was also, for example, cancer where I had no control over that. All I could do is fight. Um, and I did what I could do while I was fighting. I wrote two books. I started a YouTube channel while fighting cancer. This was two years ago, by the way. So I don't lose time when I come back. So there's also failures that you cannot control. I mean, I don't know, there's a war. <laughs> and the thing is how you keep pushing through even though that happens. I don't, I, I don't consider those failures at all. Um, I mean, uh, things that are uh, the black swan events that are outside of your control. Um, it's, I don't consider them a failure. It's whether, uh, how did you weather that storm? Hmm. For example, um, it's not a failure if your company was destroyed due to nine 11, for example, in the, in, in the U S right. Like, uh, let's say you had an office at the World Trade Center or, um, you know, you had something or even as a trader, right? Um, sure, you might have taken on a little bit of risk. Uh, it all becomes of how quickly did you recover? How quickly did you get back on your feet? Mm-hmm. And I, I don't consider those failures uh, things that are, that are completely outside of your control. I mean, I've, uh, I've invested in a company that went belly up and I, I've, I've invested in a couple of companies that went belly up and I don't consider those failures. I consider those lessons as to why mm-hmm. I need to stick to what I know and me being a VC investing in companies is not what I should be doing. That's... And I'll never invest in another company again because I learned my lessons yeah. and that's not me. That's, I don't, I'm not hands-on enough. I have too much things going on. I also... Um, there are mistakes that you make, uh, in early 2014, when I've already been a Bitcoiner for a year, uh, instead of putting more money into Bitcoin, I decided to diversify and open a physical business in New York city that had a storefront. 
and um, I learned my lesson, and I will never open another physical business again. Um, never open up a nightclub like, again in my life, even though it went well for a while. I'll never open up a nightclub again in my life, even though it went well. Correct, well right? <laughs> now, now you can say that. Hey, uh, my only experience in opening a uh, a physical location business was a failure but it was a valuable lesson for the next 60 years of my life assuming i live to 90 as to i should not do that again yeah. um now uh, to to me that was a very important uh, uh you know life lesson and the business was a failure but me as a person and my future success that was absolutely critical. And that's also a golden nugget right there. Stick to what you know and do what you know. Don't try and do something that you do not or at least do your homework before, right? Yeah. And, and it's really funny because when I was, uh, right, I think it was the year that I quit my job and I forgot the names of these books. Uh, I mean, you're more of a book guy, so you'll probably name the books. So I remember we had... Um, uh, it was like Christmas time, so we were like giving out bonuses. So we had our CEO gives, I worked for a small company at the very end of my Wall Street career. So it was only about like 70 people at the company. So the CEO read this amazing book. Um, I think it was uh, called David and Goliath. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it was like one of these motivational books about business. And it was called David and Goliath. And it's about, you know, taking on these impossible challenges and, um, you know, taking these impossible challenges head on. Um, and at the same time, my direct boss makes, gives our unit another little book that specifically talks about only focus on what you're good at and ignore the rest. So these are just two completely books. contradictory ways of life do you take on a challenge that you shouldn't or do you stick to what you know and like one of the examples in that book of like that little book of like sticking to what you know if you are a really good shoemaker a really good shoemaker and you're building this business on making the shoes um you now become so busy managing people that you are no longer making the shoes you're hiring people to make those shoes for you and the quality of those shoes completely starts to degrade because you should be making the shoes, not managing shoemakers. Yeah. And that was the point of that book. And I didn't even read the book. Somebody just told me like, like and it was like the smallest book ever, but I'm like, I'm not reading this. I, I don't, again, like give it to me on tape. But, uh, but the point was, I'm like, no, but that made sense to me. That made total sense to me. Like if you're good at something, you know, don't train a bunch of people and manage them. Like, like everyone wants to turn their best salesman into a sales manager. Yeah. No, your best salesman should be a salesman. They should be sell, selling. It's a, it's a whole different technique teaching. I do both. Um, and I actually wrote the book, The Closers Part 3 with living legend Ben Gay III. He is the, one of the greats. Uh, he worked with Napoleon Hill, Zig Ziglar. And, um, you know, teaching sales is very different than actually selling. It's, it's same thing, but it's different. Not everyone can do it. Tell me, Tone, what does success mean to you? Um, to me, success means doing what you love 
and uh, while being financially um, financially comfortable for your lifestyle. Mm. Um, now it gets a little bit complicated because as you become a little more successful, you most people raise their financial lifestyle. Yeah. So to me, that's not necessarily what success means. To me, success means doing something you love. And that, to me, that means making your own schedule. As much as I complain about being unreasonably busy mm-hmm. and uh, not having any free time, uh, I wouldn't trade this for the world. Like I would never go back to having a boss. Yeah. I will never go back to showing up at an office. So to me, success means freedom, but with a financial component. Like I'm not going to be, again, I'm not going to start bullshitting now, right? Money matters, right? Money matters. But to me personally, Lambo money doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, In fact, uh, the majority of the money I'm making, it just like goes into Bitcoin cold storage. I don't see it. I don't know it's there. It's just there. When I figure out what to do with that money, I will, right? But I, I, wanna, I'm, I have not greatly improved my lifestyle in the last few years. Mm. And I want to keep it that way. I still fly coach most of the time. Maybe I'll start flying business. You know, maybe I'll start enjoying these comforts. But in the back of my mind, I'm always going to say, all right, I'm, I'm always fearful that the price of Bitcoin is going to crash. And I can't increase my standard of living where a crash in my market starts to affect me personally. As long as I have my freedom. And, um, and that's important to me. It's a freedom with enough money on reserve for me to once again start fresh at no income for two years, right? Because that's what I did. I quit my job, I made no income for two years, and I managed to survive. It got really hard at the very end because during that time, not only were my business investments failing, the price of Bitcoin was crashing 90%. And at the very end, I really was thinking, holy shit, this is really bad. Um, I think I was down, like when I started this whole thing, when I quit my job, I had a nice savings, I had a three-part plan, I had, um, all of it failed by the way. Like it was, uh, so as I'm quitting my job, um, I think I had about, I don't know, maybe 80 to a hundred thousand dollars saved. I invested, I don't know, between like about 50,000, uh, in a physical business. Uh, and I think I still had about maybe, yeah, I think I had still about a hundred thousand on reserve. Mm. And um, I had a good paying job. I had a $150,000 job. I was living modestly. I was saving my money. And um, I also invested in some Bitcoin businesses. Um, I ended up losing a decent chunk of my Bitcoin. Um, and I picked up a job in the crypto space with a company that was going to pay me, um, you know, approximately, I don't know, $80,000 salary. So about half of what I used to make. Well, the job with that company didn't work out because of the bear market. And it also felt like a job. Like, uh, I didn't want that. Um, The business that I invested in did not work out at all. 
In fact, I had to put more money into it to try to keep it alive. Uh, the price of Bitcoin crashed, so my Bitcoin savings were going to crap. Um, and none of it worked out. And I was building out the YouTube channel. I was building out the brand. At least that wasn't costing me anything other than time. And it went this way for about two years. And towards the end, I think I was down to like, uh, the price of Bitcoin was down to 250 bucks. I don't want to give away how much money I had uh, in crypto because people can like backtrack that. But um, I think I was down to under $100,000 to my life. Wow. Um, and that may sound a lot to people, but when you've been making $150,000 yes. a year exactly. and you're sitting with less than, um, yeah, I was down to less than a hundred thousand. Right. And some of it is in crypto, which I'm not going to touch because yeah. I'm like, Oh my God, it has to go up. This is the future. Like I can't sell all my crypto now. Um, I, I was down to, you know, it was, it was getting a little nervous cause I had a mortgage. I had a car, you know, I was living in New York, not exactly a cheap place. Like, um, uh, like a lot of people probably think it's a lot of money, but it's not. Uh, it I was like, fast. shit, should I get a job? Because I spent my last 10 years having backup plans on top of backup plans on top of backup plans. And all of them failed. Well, See, sort but, of, right? Tone, you're, you're lucky you had that trader's mindset of risk management because you know what? Um, I, I feel you completely. Uh, my biggest mistakes every single time was my lifestyle went way up. <laughs> Higher than what it has to. And I remember one of my mentors telling me, you have to live below your means. And this is something I recently learned. You know, just recently, like maybe the last two years, two and a half years, maybe. <laughs> and I'm still trying to learn, <laughs> but I'm doing better yeah. at it. <laughs> yeah. But I yeah, mean, lifestyle, uh, it, 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 people, you know, Lambo, why Lambo? Put that money in Bitcoin, put that money in something else, gold, I don't care. But really Lambo? I wouldn't buy a Lambo now, no way. But I'm just saying, if you right. buy a Lambo, you have to at least have what, five, 10 million euros or something like that. You have to be yeah. able to support it. That's right. what I think. Right. And um, I, I think growing up, uh, being poor gave me, uh, and some people grow up poor and then they, a lot of athletes have this problem. They grow up poor and then when they fall into money, they, they go to the other extreme. But, I grew up with money. So I can't right. get the same argument. I was pretty well off. I, I'm not going to be one of those people from rags to riches. And so I did go bankrupt. I did have cancer. I did lose everything a couple of times. But I'll be honest, I was spoiled. And if I had what I wanted, I couldn't do what I wanted. But so it was a nice balance. But I'm I was I came from a pretty decent family. I I I, I think growing up and being raised by my parents uh, to live below your means played a huge role in uh, where I am today. Huge role. Yeah. Because uh, if I went above my means at the bull market of Bitcoin at the top of 2013, I probably wouldn't be here today. Uh, because that bear market was bad. That bear market was bad. But worse than the one now? Obviously. Yeah, it was worse. We, the price of Bitcoin went from 1200 to 150 it fell over 90%. We're only down 70%. Well, not it for us are diversified. Yeah. <laughs> <Not> the, <laughs> so, 
<laughs> so, so, so living below my means helped me out a lot. And I still pretty much live below my means. And, I, and I'm trying to uh, spend very, very carefully. I'm, I'm always conscious about what I spend. And uh, I mean, I splurge when, I, when it's important. Uh, otherwise, I don't. And um, yeah, so that, that, that did help a lot. Now, I was also trading. I did quit my job. And here's the thing. I quit my job to be a trader. This Bitcoin thing, this YouTube thing was just a little side fun thing. I quit my job because I always wanted to be a trader. Now, why did I want to be a trader? Because I didn't want to have a boss. I wanted to travel the world. I had this dream that, hey, if I'm trading, I can just sit on a lounge chair on a beach in Thailand and like sit there and trade. In reality, that does, that, that's not reality, right? Like if you're a trader, you're sitting in front of your computer with three monitors, right? Not sleeping, not eating, trust out out of your mind. You know, like you, you have a dream of being a trader and the reality of being a trader, right? Now, um, at least in the beginning, well, right? Big ones are from yeah. <laughs> Right. Um, so the reality of being a trader, now I did make some money trading, but I wasn't having fun. Like, like it was fun not having a boss. It was fun, you know, and I was still waking up early, you know, it was fun not having a boss. It was fun not to commute to work. Uh, I, I don't want to go off on a, uh, you know, I go off on a tangent. Uh, if I forget, ask me about like the, um, uh, what the, the lesson that the guy whose job I took taught me of when to quit. Okay. your job. And uh, it's a really, really great story. I got, I got to tell him, I don't even know if he knows that I still remember it to this day. And it's been over 10 years. It's been like almost 15 years now. But um, okay. so um, trading gave me what I wanted as in no boss, having the freedom, doing whatever you want, but it wasn't all that much fun. So I found a lot more fun doing YouTube and traveling to conferences and meeting people and hanging out with people and speaking. And I monetize that by teaching other people how to be traders because trading for me isn't going anywhere. You know, eventually I'm going to have a nice boring life with a couple of kids, you know, and a wife at home. And maybe then I'll go back to trading. But for now I got what I wanted traveling the world, enjoying life, meeting people, not having a boss. And I can do it without the stress of trading. And so that, I'm is doing success. It. that is success, Tom. So, so go back to that one, right? So I, I got this job after I got my master's degree in financial engineering. I didn't have any experience. I didn't have any Wall Street experience. So I couldn't get a job on Wall Street. This was 2005. So I went back to, you know, making money based on what I, I mean, I moved out of my house at 17. I went away to university. Uh, so I, I've had, I've been working since I was 14 or 13. I remember my first job was washing, uh, washing dishes and uh, mopping up an ice cream store. You know, like that was my first job. I was 13 years old. It was actually illegal to work at the time. Yeah. Uh, you have to be like 16 or 15. I forgot what it was. Uh, but I was like way below age. So they were paying me $4 an hour. Like, and I was happy to have it. So I've been working since I was 13 and, uh, nothing's changed when I went away to college at 17. And, um, so once I left grad school, 
came back to New York. I was in my grad school in Florida. Didn't have a job, so I went back to teaching. I found a couple of, uh, you know, universities, like a couple of colleges that were very remedial. They catered to high school dropouts and stuff. So, again, wasn't the best students I was teaching. And, uh, but I was teaching. And as I was teaching, I took the initiative. I, I went to the chair of the computer science department, and I knew what skills I was missing to get a job on Wall Street. I was missing database skills. I was missing Excel skills. I was missing basic, some additional programming skills. So I asked the chair of the computer science department, I'm like, hey, can I teach SQL 101 next year? And I showed him my background. I'm like, I know some C++, uh, but uh, can you let me teach SQL 101? Uh, and he said, sure. And then I go home, I grab the textbook, and I realize, hey, I don't even know what SQL stands for. <laughs> like, I know nothing about SQL. Nothing. It's a structured query language, right? Like, I know nothing about database. I've never used access. I've never done anything, right? And the class starts in two weeks. Oh, well, you know, I'm teaching high school dropouts here. How hard can it be? You open the textbook, you know, it only took me like, you know, uh, in two days, I learned a chapter and I got to teach it. You know, it's not a big deal, right? So I started teaching classes that I needed to learn. And within six months, uh, boom, I got my job on Wall Street uh, because I had that skill set. Uh, I got lucky at the interview. Uh, that's what happens often. Like often you get the job because like you can show up at an interview and they can ask you questions you know nothing about. And then you can show up at an interview and all the stars align and every question from the bosses that think is complicated, they're easy for you because it happens to be something that you know. Yeah. And uh, that happened to me. Like they happened to ask me questions that were so in my wheelhouse that I rocked that interview uh, because the interview two days earlier was a complete and utter disaster, right? Um, and the jobs were very similar. So, um, so I was taken over for a guy that worked at this company from inception. He was one of the original eight people that was an employee. Um, and it was a jack of all trades job. You needed to know databases. You needed to know SQL. You needed to know, you had to be an Excel absolute expert. Um, you had to know, uh, you know, math. Certainly you had to know programming. You had to have people skills. Um, it, it was a pretty jack-of-all-trades kind of job. You're, you're the middleman between financial analysts and developers that program tools for those financial analysts. So you need to understand both sides. You need to understand the finance. You need to understand the code. You need to test the code for finance and vice versa. You need to test the finance for coding bugs. So it was a jack-of-all-trades job with a lot of database in, in the middle for, for data validation stuff. So, and the guy's been there, he lived, he was making a great salary, he was living in Times Square or walking distance from it. Uh, the job was uh, in Midtown by Grand Central. It's about a 20 minute walk maybe uh, from, you know, 42nd down to, uh, uh, no, like from 49 down to 44th and a couple of avenues across. So, um, I was happy. My starting salary, I think, was like 
um, $65,000 or 60 or like 70,000, something like that. This was in 2007. Mm -hmm. And he was quitting. My guess is he was making close to 200. And that's why they didn't even hire me. They hired me and another guy, exactly the same as me, two of us to replace one person. And it wasn't clear whether we're in competition and one of us is going to be fired at the end of the year or is the team going to grow? And I excelled over the other person and I became his manager uh, like a year and a half later. So again, it's about your motivation and challenges. But, and I asked him the question, I'm like, Hey, why are you quit? I was so grateful to get this job because I was like an adjunct teacher making like 30, 35,000 in New York. And all of a sudden, I'm more than doubling my salary. And I finally got, because once you have that first Wall Street job, the world is different, yeah. right? I was so freaking happy, but I couldn't help it. So I, uh, the guy was like training us on what he does because he's quitting and he's not even sure what he's going to do next. And I'm like so happy. And I'm like, and I'm like 26, 27 at the time. I'm not a little kid either at that point, yeah. but it's my first job in this space. And I asked him straight up, I'm like, why are you quitting? You're making amazing money. You're living in Times Square. You're going to move back to Canada, which is where he's from. Uh, you know, he's like, he never went to graduate school. He's like, yeah, maybe I'll go to graduate school. Maybe I'll do something. Like, no idea what to do. And I'm like, why are you quitting? And he had like the most amazing answer that I still remember to this day. When your commute to work becomes more enjoyable than work, it's time to quit. <laughs> I'm going to write that down. <laughs> that is hilarious. <laughs> now, in his case, the commute was a walk through the park, right? <laughs> in my case, I, was, I wasn't living in Manhattan. I was living in Staten Island. It was usually like a ferry ride or a bus ride. And I would either sleep or listen to a podcast yeah. or do some music. Or just, I usually read blogs. And when that commute, like the crappy bus-ridden commute became more enjoyable than my time at work, I knew it was time to go. That's awesome, man. That is awesome. That's good advice right there, too, for anybody listening, by the way. That is so true. And by the way, I'll share, I'll share a funny Forex story with you later on. Because uh, I was in Forex for a while. I didn't know what I was doing, but I was a sales manager. Uh, <laughs> so here's the next question. Do you think anyone can succeed in life? Uh, I mean, yeah, uh, of course. Um, uh, again, I mean, I'm, yeah, anyone can. Uh, because, again, success is based on what you think success is. Uh, for a lot of people, it's all right now. For me, it's my lifestyle. Uh, eventually, I am going to want to form a family. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if I never form a family, I may be disappointed. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know if I want to be single my entire life. Some people do just fine with that. Uh, I would like to meet, you know, the right girl and form a family. So I, I still have that part missing. Like, I'm not going to consider my life a total success until I reach that stage, but I'm not, um, you know, but I, I still have time. Like I, I, I still have plenty of time uh, to reach that stage, but I think everyone could reach success. Again, 
but you gotta you, you you gotta have your head on your shoulders at least a little bit, right? Right. Like you gotta go out and do something. It's not success is not gonna come to you. You have to go out and get it. And I still have friends, you know, for 20, 30 years that are still struggling, still struggling. And uh, there comes a point in life where if you struggle for so long, you're so frustrated that your life's been a giant struggle. And that's unfortunate. But you've you had the tools to put yourself um, in a better position. You you just didn't do it then. And now, when you're in your 30s, when you're in your 40s, and you've never capitalized on some of those tools, it becomes harder and harder and harder because people that have known you, the longer people have known you. And the longer they've known you without any success or even a glimpse of success, the less those people will help you. So anyone can succeed, but it gets harder and harder and harder in the future if you don't have any history of prior success. Now, if you've had multiple stages of successes and failures, it is much easier to succeed when you're older because people will remember your successes. Mm -hmm. They will also remember your failures, but they're confident you've succeeded before, you can succeed again. Whether you fail then after or not is, is debatable, right? But if people have never seen you succeed, you, you are going to have a major problem with every single year that goes by because you just don't earn the confidence of your friends, peers, and family. Yeah, very true, very true. Uh, on that note, do you think anyone can succeed in crypto or does it take a certain type? Again, in crypto, it's very frustrating because in crypto, success seems to come with how much money did you raise in your latest ICO, which I would refer to as a scam. So uh, to me, I, I, I don't think many people have, by based on my metrics, based on my metrics of honesty and uh, providing a useful product and not simply leeching off of the ability to fund your product through unqualified investors, I think there's only been very few successes in this space, which is why there's not that many people that I respect. And when it comes to Bitcoin and blockchain, um, I mean, at the end of the day, it's code. And I don't have the ability to contribute to the code. So I am doing my best job I can in explaining the code and why the code is important because that is my skill set. Mm -hmm. I spent 10 years on Wall Street working with developers and explaining code and testing the usage of code. So me uh, doing it in the crypto space was second nature. But so many people want to succeed in the crypto space, but they have absolutely nothing to offer. So they try to come up with some idea and they try to finance that idea by unqualified people. And I don't call any of those people successful. I don't care if, you're, if you just raised $2 billion for your project. I think you did it in unethically and I do not consider you successful. Uh, you leverage your reputation. If you have to leverage your reputation to make money, um, I, I, I don't know about that. So mm -hmm. I think any, 
anyone can succeed, but there's not that much. I mean, to me, the crypto space is this government uh, free money. And there's not much you can do with just that. It's just government free money. Now, I don't want to solicit that money from people. In fact, uh, I've recently removed all of my donation addresses because I'm at a point where like, I, I don't want to sound cocky. I don't want to say, I don't want your $10 donation gift uh, for all the free content that I do. But I am doing, I was able to monetize with my workshops of teaching people how to trade. Yeah. And um, I'm doing okay with that. I'm, I'm doing okay based on my lifestyle. So for me, asking for donations in my case, it's like not exactly necessary. And I don't want to beg or ask people for money. But that's me. Uh, that's just my view. So I have restructured uh, my, and, and I've been asking people, hey, instead of donations, just use my affiliate codes. I have a website and I put up a bunch of companies as affiliate codes, but these are not multi-level marketing affiliate codes. Mm -hmm. I don't profit by on a ladder system. I only put affiliate codes where a person is going to pay X amount anyway, but the company now gives me, a, uh, let's say 10% of that or 15% of that. Actually and if you don't, and if you don't use my affiliate code, you're just going to pay everything to the company. Yeah. But if you use my affiliate code, you're paying the company and me, but it doesn't cost you anything extra. As a so matter of this fact, is what I heard, I actually heard you, um, uh, your live show and you mentioned Cryptomatic, the watch. And I'm going to actually put that in the affiliate links, your affiliate link in the description down below, because that's an excellent watch. I was actually looking at that watch and I even reached out to them at some point in the past. And yeah, see, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And I really think, um, you, you know, that company is a very good example of how to become successful in the crypto world. In, in fact, you don't have to just be a trader or just buy crypto to work in crypto. Okay, so I'm, I'm doing some advising for some companies. And the, one of them was post-ICO, so it's a startup mostly. It's not an ICO. The other one is an ICO, but I personally know the person is, is into events and stuff, and he's into events. But me, my knowledge is marketing and sales, and you know that's my thing. But that over there, it's just some churches. First is God, then it's the client, then it's you. And I go by that rule, or at least I try to. But you don't have to buy and just trade crypto to be in crypto. You can work around it and become successful because it's what you were saying. Find what you're good at. Find your niche within that growing space, correct? Correct. And this is a great example of the watch. He's a watchmaker. Yeah. His expertise is watches. And it only, he's got it. You got to be, it's a new space. Hey, I'm a watchmaker. What if I start making really cool watches? And here is the thing. When this watch got released, it was in the middle of 2015. The price of Bitcoin was under $300. Yeah. He only accepts Bitcoin. I paid him three Bitcoin for this watch. Crazy. And then I remember 
in December of last year, oh my God, am I really wearing a $60,000 watch? That's what would have happened if I did not pay him in, in, in Bitcoin for this watch. It was only and he takes Ethereum as well now. I think. Hmm? <laughs> he takes Ethereum as well, I think. Well, I'm sure he can, you know, he can, he takes it, but I'm pretty sure he converts it to crypto, to, to, yeah. to actual yeah, yeah, yeah. Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, it's an amazing it's, watch. I love it. It's, right. it's really cool. And it's very well made. And, and that's the thing, like any watchmaker could have come into the crypto space and done something really, really cool. It was exactly. open for everyone. And one guy took the initiative. Exactly. So what does it actually take to, 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 to succeed in this field? And I know this, after what we just said, this is kind of confusion question, a confusing question because, you know, I guess in the trader's uh, mindset way, because we, we touched on a lot of things, what does it actually take to become Tony Vase, for example? Oh, Tony Vase, excuse me. Um, you know, it, it's, just, it's just a lot of hard work. It, it, it's a lot of hard work. And if you know your end goal, uh, don't let people tell you that it doesn't work. And we, I mean, that, that's the common one. I'm trying to come up with something a little more different. It, you have to believe in what you're doing. Absolutely, you absolutely have to believe in what you're doing. And um, you got to... And, and here's the thing, right? There is a monetization angle and there is a what you do angle. Um, mine are different. I am really good at explaining how to trade. I'm a pretty good trader, but I would say, what are my skills as a trader? I don't know, maybe a seven or an eight out of 10. What are my skills at teaching people how to trade? That's a nine, 10 out of 10. Like, I'm really good at that. But my passion is traveling the world, speaking at conferences and educating people about Bitcoin, not about trading. But yeah. I can't monetize educating people about Bitcoin, but I can monetize teaching people about trading. So teaching people about trading, is that what I really want to do? Not really, but I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm, I'm happy doing that. Like on a happiness scale, if I didn't have to teach people how to trade, um, I would probably be a little bit happier just traveling the world and, and educating what is a blockchain. But this doesn't make me any money. But this gives me the popularity to make money from teaching people how to trade because that is, I am very good at that and I'm almost as happy doing that by itself. But I'm able to use something I'm good at to monetize what I really want to do. And they go hand in hand because they're in the same field. Right. True. True. You have to use what you can. Did you have any mentors? No, uh, I never actually. I'm, uh, 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 there is, um, I don't know. I, I guess I'm a little bit of a, control freak, as you like to say, a little bit. I do like to outsource some stuff, but at the end of the day, I want to do it myself. Yeah. I want to do everything myself. Uh, and there are things that I know I can't do myself, so I immediately hire people. Like, I'm not going to clean my own apartment anymore. I'm going to hire someone, right? Even though I right. used to do that all right. the time. I was never good at it, but I didn't have exactly the money to pay someone, right? Like, 
I'm not going to be a handyman. Like I'm not going to fix anything in my house. You know, like uh, if a light bulb goes out, or if I have like, you know, six spotlights, I think it took me like three years to, to change them because like one went out, two went out, three went out, four went out. I'm like, okay, now I don't have enough light. Now I need to actually figure out how the hell do you change a spotlight, right? Because I'm not, you know, I'm not that unhandy, man. Like I'm not going to hire someone to figure out how to change a spotlight, right? I mean, that is something I can figure out within 10 but minutes. But even right? then, the time you put into that, you can make a trade and make more money than that. Right. <laughs> Correct, right? So like if there's anything broken, it, I'm, I'm, I'm calling someone, right? Like um, my car, you know, the smallest thing, I'm going to bring it to a shop because yeah. I have better uh, time to spend. So did I ever have any mentors? Not really. Uh, I mean, I, again, it's, it's going back to this thing of not making the same thing twice. Mm. Um, the course, the trading course that I teach, I took one of these courses myself in the early 2000s. And it opened you know, my mind to the world of technical analysis and trading. And I didn't have any mentors there. I, was, I, I sat in a room of 100 people learning this stuff. But it fascinated me, and I just studied it on my own. And um, so I've never really had any mentors. Any, and, and this is the thing that almost like I find weird because I thought I was a successful teacher. I just didn't like it. I could have been a very successful Wall Street executive. I just didn't like it. I think I'm a very successful YouTuber considering I had Z I've never even looked at a video of how to like make YouTube videos. Like, like I just like sat there and figured it out. Yeah. I, I never, you know, I, I've, and I think I, I became pretty successful. You know, I didn't know crypto. I didn't have any, uh, and no one even told me about crypto. I heard about it myself on RT watching alternative media. Then eventually I realized I needed to go buy some Bitcoin. I went to local Bitcoin's website. I found a local dealer in New York. I met this guy. I didn't even know what Bitcoin was. I bought it from him. And then for the next year, I didn't know a single Bitcoin person. Like I wish I had like libertarian friends that were like annoying me and convincing me to buy Bitcoin the way I was doing it to my friends and family, right? No one did that to me. I found it on my own. So for me personally, because I've never had a mentor at anything, I find the concept of mentors strange. But you are one in a way. But not in a one-on-one -on -one setting, right? Mm -hmm. Like I find the concept of a life coach mm. insane weird. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't get it. Like, I, I mean, I guess you can pay me uh, for me to tell you what to do with your life, but I don't really want to be your like deity, right? Like, like the, 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 the whole concept of this mentorship program, like, sure, if you're like maybe 15, maybe 16, but I've never even had that at a young age. Like I've never had a mentor. Like you can go back to like the earliest ages. It was like, I had a family is like, well, if you can't do it, you're just not smart enough. Just go and do it yourself. You know, like, um, uh, it's, uh, and again, I grew up in Russia, like in America, it's like, oh, you're dyslexic. You know, it's not yeah. you. It's a mental disability. It was like when I grew up and, and uh, I, I was terrible at Russian also, like that was my first language. It's not like I was failing reading and writing in America because English was my second language. I was failing Russian when it was my first language also, right? Like, 
but but there was no such thing as a disability right it's like right. oh there's there's no concept of a disability it's like oh your kid is reading at a your kid is in eighth grade and is reading at a third grade level he's just an idiot you know it's uh i mean that was basically the this is basically how i grew up it was like you gotta find a solution and you know what the solution for me was through high school, I used to pay someone to do my book reports, right? Like you, you find a solution around the problem yeah. until technology resolves the problem for you. It's and fun. you're capable of leveraging that technology with a, because you were successful and you have some financial resources from the things you were actually good at. So this whole concept of mentors, I mean, uh, my mentorship is universal. Yeah. You a guy who's, um, who's a, you know, a millionaire should have the same access to my information as a guy that only has $10,000. Now, I would recommend that a guy with $10,000 don't trade uh, and the guy with a million dollars go ahead and trade. There's a, I want them to have the same access to information. Now, when it comes to paying me for my consulting time, I don't want to take $1,000 an hour, which is approximately my rate, uh, it's 0.1 Bitcoin per hour. And I almost stopped doing that because I don't find them. I, by the way, I stopped doing what I want consulting. My manager is actually very angry at me for that because I feel that spending an hour on a one-on-one -on -one consulting call only benefits one person. And I don't want to benefit one person. I want to benefit the maximum amount of people. So um, I, like one of the reasons why uh, we're on this interview for so long is because I know this interview will be heard by a lot of people. If this was a one-on-one -on -one phone call and you're the only beneficiary of this yeah. information, I don't want to, I don't want to give it to you for $3,000 because it's not why I'm here. I'm here for the maximum amount of people to hear me, not to profit from a person. And the less money that person has, the more information that person, the, the more useful this information is to him, and the less I want to take his money because I'd rather have him use that money for food, right? Yeah. So this is one of the reasons why I don't really do one-on-one -on -one consulting anymore, but I will do corporate consulting where they can get a bunch of people in, in a conference room. Like, like, and this is also why people keep always coming up to me and pitching their proprietary like, solutions. Hey, why are you streaming on YouTube? Why don't you come stream with us? And it's a subscription service and you can make so much money. Yeah. Um, you can have, you know, 5,000 people paying you $100 per video. And I say, really? Only 5,000? I have 30,000 on YouTube. You know, match that. Show me, give me another uh, outlet that gives me better numbers than YouTube. And I'm happily going to go there because it's not about profiting from the small amount of people. It's about providing the maximum amount of information beautiful. to the maximum amount of people. That is beautiful. Uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make these fast questions because I want to get a little bit into crypto with you because why would I be talking to you and not get into crypto and Bitcoin? It would, be, it would be insane, right? So real quick, do you have any habits in morning rituals? Um, I used to, but... Um, again, this is another thing. I don't, I don't really have much of an outlet. Like a lot of people like to, uh, a lot of people like to do yoga. Some people like to, um, meditate. 
Uh, I heard meditation is really good. I've never, you know, never really crossed my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my morning rituals, I'm trying to exercise again. Like I used to be very heavily into exercise. So now I'm trying to wake up in the morning and before I shower, do something. Uh, just push-ups and uh, push-ups and crunches. Uh, if I'm in a hotel room, well, if I'm in a hotel room that has a gym, I'll do push-ups, crunches, and pull-ups. Mm-hmm. If if I'm at home, I have a pull-up bar. If you don't have a pull-up bar, just push-ups and crunches. So that's that's not enjoyable, to be honest with you. Like going to the gym was never enjoyable for me. I did it because I had to. Um, and even uh, I started working out again recently when I was home during the summer. It was a CrossFit kind of workout. I I was starting to look really good, but I wasn't happy. I'm like, God damn it! All right, when is this thing over? Like it was hard, uh, but I like I wasn't happy doing that. I, I did it because I, I wanted. I was looking further ahead. Uh, I want to look good. I want to feel good, uh, but I'm not happy doing this stuff. So I do that. Uh, and that's about it. Uh, my morning ritual these days is because I'm a popular content creator is basically I'm in bed the first hour after I wake up now, just going through my messages, like all yeah. of the messages that I missed overnight. So that has now become a morning. It's not, again, it's not a very enjoyable one. Even um, before block I, you? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, so no, I don't have it. And it's always been like, you know, moving around. Uh, when I can go to the gym in the morning, uh, but uh, no, no real morning rituals. I will say that I've in lately in the last year or so, I am enjoying uh, going to like saunas and like Russian bathhouses uh, because your phone's in the locker and you know you're almost forced to relax. Yeah, yeah. All right, so. What kind of questions do you wish people asked you in the street and in interviews, wherever? No, you know what? Anything is good. I don't, um, I don't have a preference. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I have lots of questions I wish people didn't ask me. Uh, <laughs> but like, um, I really wish people didn't ask me to promote them mm. on my social media or YouTube channels. Uh, not to promote even their, like, events, right? Or even events that I'm speaking at. Like, uh, it's not my job to promote your event, guys. I already agreed to speak there. Exactly. I got my own stuff to do, right? Um, I don't want to promote other people. I don't want to promote their projects. I don't really, I'm not a VC. I'm not going to invest in your project. Mm. Uh, now, you can say, hey, Tone, I heard you say something bad about my project. I don't think you understand it and give me a very quick overview of it. But coming up to me saying, you've built a better blockchain than Bitcoin, knowing full well that I believe that is impossible, uh, it, you, you have to know. It's insulting. Uh, not that, right. <laughs> And like a lot of LinkedIn messages are like funny because um, if you are in the crypto space, you know that I am like a probably a top hundred uh, person in crypto uh, between influence and between popularity and between speaking ability. And I'm a very good public speaker. 
and I'm, I'm a top hundred person. And then you get these connections like, hey, Tone, I see we have a lot of people in common and we seem to be in the same industry. Maybe it's good that we talked. And I'm like, if you don't know who I am, we're not in the same industry. Right? <laughs> I, I'm sorry. If you are in the crypto industry, you can hate me. You can disagree with me. But you have to know who I am. You have to know what I'm about at this point. You know? Um, it, 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 it's really... Um, so, 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 so those kinds of things always like fascinate me. You know, here's, here's a question that just came up because, and I just, I made a note of it and this might actually help some people get a better perspective and also understand something. What made you say yes to this interview or what we're doing now? Because we never really met or talked with each other before, as most people may assume. What made you say yes? Um, so, I hope that's it didn't a good really I don't want to. I, I, I don't want to give away a reason for more people to use this. Um, okay. Um, <laughs> but um, you you connected with me directly, right? I'm not going to say which medium, right? Yeah. So most people email, and when people email, they have to go through my manager. Mm-hmm. So they don't go directly through me. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you go directly through me, the problem becomes, as you learned, um, my days are completely random. Mm-hmm. So if you really want to do an interview with me, you have to be flexible, very flexible. And you were, and um, I appreciate that. And um, uh, yeah, so that's... Uh, let me, wait, wait, you know what? Uh, you actually got me with a question. I don't want to answer for, uh, that's publicly. Because I'm going to open up a whole can of worms. If, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if, if I talk about this publicly, I, I didn't know it was possible to stop me at a question, but this is definitely it. You, you know what? In hindsight, I, I, I don't want people to know what, uh, how, how I got the interview either. <laughs> let's, let's keep the, <laughs> Okay, so let's ask you this. Where do you think crypto and Bitcoin is going? Oh boy. Honestly, I think that crypto eventually will realize that there is only Bitcoin, right? So I think that all of these altcoins, all of these ICOs are going to zero. Uh, Not all at the same time, Mm -hmm. not immediately, but over time, they're going to trend towards zero. I think Bitcoin is going to slowly get more and more worldwide acceptance um, of legitimacy. I know already people are recognizing that Bitcoin isn't just a drug market currency, right? Um, It's good for everyone, you know, just like the very first cars. Uh, weren't only good for bank robberies to get away from cops on horses, right? Like eventually you realize that it's good for everyone. So, uh, you know, maybe not the, you know, environment is being endangered crowd, you know, but (laughs) which I make fun of sometimes. Um, But um, uh, so I, I think Bitcoin is getting a lot more legitimacy and that comes with confidence. 
the only thing that matter the only thing matters to a currency is confidence the more confidence your currency has the more valuable that currency is the us dollar has a lot of confidence and that's why it's the world reserve currency there's nothing else right now part of that confidence of the us dollar comes with the military of the united states it means no country can just come in and you know take over our land right so confidence uh, come there are multiple things here um you people think that the u.s government is the most corrupt government in reality it's one of the least uh compared to most third world countries right so um so it's just confidence and bitcoin is now 10 years old there's confidence there right mm -hmm. and in five years from now it'll have more confidence assuming it earned that confidence so I think as confidence in Bitcoin grows, more people will use it, more people will save in it, and the value of one Bitcoin will continue to go up. I have lots of confidence in the underlying development of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. uh, within uh, one to two years, I expect it to scale. I expect it to have a lot more transactions per second. I expect those transactions to be fast and cheap and more anonymous to give people you know, more security that their payments aren't being spied on and that's where i see it going and with the confidence and with the better technology comes an increase in price now short term speculators are kings and right now most people are speculating to the downside because the bubble grew a little too much uh, but eventually we will turn around and go to new all-time highs yeah, you have a, not a price prediction, but you have a speculation backed with whatever is backed on your side that it should reach 5,000 um, first. And I guess the faster it goes down, I wish it went down faster because the how, how higher the bounce, right? But um, it didn't. It was a slow burn. And here's, here's what I'm going to ask you. What kind of advice would you give people that were huddling, if you will, that got burnt? Because right now, you, there's a lot of people out there. And I want to ask you this, because you are a, bit, a Bitcoin maximalist, but you're also a trader. You understand the money. You understand emotion. And you understand what people are going through. You, you actually told me you went through this. So what would you advise to people that are just huddling for dear life, whether they bought at 18, 15, 10, 8, whatever? What advice would you give these people? At this point, I would probably say keep huddling. because. I was sounding the alarms of the bear market in the middle of January. Mm. So I was warning people when the price of Bitcoin was $15,000 that this bear market could be severe. Uh, and those that didn't take the, well, it's not exactly trading advice, but um, if you didn't sell at 15 and you didn't sell at 10, Selling now at six is you at this point, you might as well wait it out. Yeah. But if you need the money, you need the money. Now, I think that even selling at this point is probably a good bet, but it's not as good of a bet as it was selling at 15, right? Yeah. Uh, so, my view on the bear market is identical now than it was in the middle of January. I have not changed. Everything I said in the middle of January, go, you can go back and look at my videos. Everything I said in the middle of January, I'm still saying to this day. But 
But listening to that now is not as financially lucrative as it was back in the middle of January. So uh, at this point, you're, you almost want to take the risk less, the, the, the less risky position, especially if you can wait out a few more years and you have enough fiat money not to touch that Bitcoin. Because if you think that if you're going to panic sell at 3000 you should sell it now. But if you, if you have the financial ability to wait out a possibility of fifteen or $1,300 Bitcoin and a $1,300 Bitcoin, let's say, in the middle of next year, if you have the financial standing to wait out the worst case scenario, which is a which is for me the worst case scenario, which is a possible worst case scenario, which is the price of thirteen hundred dollars at this time next year. Mm. So September October of next year, the price is thirteen hundred. If you can, if you're okay with that, then you might as well keep hodling. If you're not okay with that outcome, then the safer thing for you to do uh, might be to just get out now and then buy back in either at significantly lower prices or above $10,000 when the bull market has returned. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with potentially selling now at six and buying back at 10 uh, if you're going to panic sell at two. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I have to ask at this point, just to make it clarify, because uh, people will panic listening to this. People, uh, emotion always gets um, messages mixed. It does not mean that it might not go up first, then go down or go up to seven, then go to five or whatever. It does not mean it's going to go straight down to two right now. I just want to, at least I think that's what we, we were talking, right? Well, right. And also, just so people know, I am hodling. Like, I still have all of my Bitcoin. I'm not selling. My time horizon is five to 10 years down the line. Mm. And um, I am holding through the bear market. And I've been very open with all of my followers, telling them that I am holding through the bear market. I am too busy to day trade. Mm. I am uh, not following the market like that. And uh, the way I, and I, don't, I don't even have exchange accounts. So it's not even easy for me to liquidate my Bitcoin. It's, uh, and I have a different time horizon. So I'm okay with that. I have my uh, lifestyle allows me to keep doing what I'm doing at a price of Bitcoin of $1,300. And I charge 0.1 Bitcoin for my workshops. So as the price is falling, I also less fiat money. I earn the same amount of Bitcoin, but less money in fiat. So I will be earning less money as well. Like I am committed to the Bitcoin ecosystem. And when it suffers, I suffer. When it does well, I do well. That is actually a very good point. I never thought of that, actually. Point one is point one, no matter what right. price it goes to. So this 1300 that you just came up with, just curiosity, do you think this is a possibility in, let's say, I don't know, June, and this is all speculation tone, 
when Mount Gox people that get their Bitcoin back, which bought $16, would want to profit no matter what the price is? Is that what you're basing it off? Or, or? No, not at all. Um, the amount of Bitcoin that the Mount Gox people will get is going to be trivial compared to how much Bitcoin they lost. Mm. A lot of these people are already Bitcoin holders. I can't see them selling that Bitcoin once they get it. And I think most of them are going to get it in U.S. dollars anyway. So if anything, once they get those dollars, they're going to just turn them right back into Bitcoin. So if anything, uh, the Mount Gox uh, return of the value, I think a lot of that value is going to be returned in U.S. dollar based and it will be converted into Bitcoin. So if anything, that's going to help drive the price of Bitcoin up. Uh, no, I base that strictly on technical analysis. Uh, my fundamental analysis is not news events. Hmm. I am fully aware of the underlying development of Bitcoin and that development has always been strong. To me, fundamental analysis is how strong is your company, right? Let's talk about companies, right? You have fundamental analysis of stocks. You have a company that you think is undervalued. You have a company that you think is overvalued. And you have a company that you think is pure nonsense that no one should even trade because you think they're fraudulent and they can go to zero at any moment. To me, everything other than Bitcoin is in that third bucket. Mm. If it's not Bitcoin, it is basically um, a walking time bomb that can go to zero at any point in time, whether it's Ethereum Litecoin, Monero, Ripple, like it doesn't matter, right? To me, none of them are investment grade. Mm. And by investment, I mean any kind of hold for any substantial period of time. Now, if you're a short-term trader, uh, if you're just going to you know, trade it for a week and get out and go back to Bitcoin, that's fine. Your risk of it going to zero that week is significantly small. But the longer you hold these other cryptos, the higher the risk of that crypto going to zero. So uh, to me, that's fundamental analysis. Hmm. So, and Bitcoin is the only one that I'm willing to hold for more than a week. And um, that's kind of how I do it. Is there anything that, any other coin whatsoever that intrigues you or that you like or that you may like? No, it's just Bitcoin. Uh, I don't really care for any other coins. I, you know, in my history of crypto, I've occasionally ended up utilizing uh, another coin, but that's no longer necessary. Uh, Bitcoin is now very liquid and, you know, very quick and very cheap. So no, I, I see all of these old coins becoming less and less relevant over time. They have huge technological risk, way more than Bitcoin. 90% of them have enormous regulatory risk. They are all centralized. U.S. government can show up and shut down the project. Mm. It's just too many risks. And to me, my fundamental analysis, my line of fundamental analysis ends with Bitcoin. You can hold Bitcoin for longer than a week. And everything else, you're taking a big gamble because they can go to zero and I don't believe Bitcoin can. It can, but with a much 
with an infinitely lower probability. Uh, yeah, as proven in this bear market, Bitcoin retained most of its value in comparison to everything else. Um, why do you think Bitcoin is succeeding? And I know you probably mentioned most of them right now, the reasons, but why? <laughs> so, well, Bitcoin is succeeding because it's actually delivering on its promise. Uh, Bitcoin is peer-to-peer, decentralized, uh, censorship-resistant value transfer. Mm. And it's the only one that is actually decentralized because that's the one that has no leaders. That's the one that has the most distributed mining. It's the one with the most distributed coins around the world. Uh, that's why it's winning. It's not winning because it's first, though being first allowed it to get those properties. It's winning because it has no leaders. It grew organically. It grew in the wild. You can't replicate growing in the wild. It's just, it's not replicatable in a lab hmm. because by default, a lab is not the wild. So everything other than Bitcoin grew up in a lab and Bitcoin grew up in the wild. Now we can say that something grew up in a lab is superior to something growing in the wild, but we both know that's not true. True. So, so that, that's why it's succeeding. It's succeeding because it has no leaders. It's succeeding because it's just there and nobody controls it and everything else uh, has leaders. Tola, I have to um, do a controversial question right now. I'm not sure if anyone asked this. Okay. We always talk about the good things that happen if Bitcoin succeeds. What bad things can happen if Bitcoin succeeds? Interesting. Um, now, I've already been warning about this. So the, I mean, obviously, I'm assuming that Bitcoin is going to succeed with good privacy, right? Um, so on a small level, I mean, uh, if the government decides to criminalize Bitcoin, you know, they catch you using Bitcoin, you go to jail, right? Like, for example, you're in the U.S. as well, and, uh, or, or you're not in the U.S. I'm in Greece right now. You're in Greece right now, but you're from the U.S. U U.K. From the U.K. Okay. I was born there. I got an so, American accent, though. <laughs> yeah. So right now, you know, marijuana is almost legal everywhere, right? So marijuana succeeded. But how many people went to prison for smoking a plant? You know, a lot, right? So on a small scale, right, do we really need another thing to throw people in jail for just using money, right? So, yeah. um, you know, how many families could be ruined if the government decides to criminalize Bitcoin, uh, but some guy doesn't think the government is serious and he decides to, you know, buy a watch online with Bitcoin and all of a sudden get arrested, right? So that's bad. Uh, I mean, it shouldn't happen, but like, you know, that's bad for families, that's bad for society, right? And with using marijuana as an example, took what, 40 years for people to finally realize maybe we shouldn't be arresting people for smoking a plant that grows in the ground, right? So that's bad, obviously. Um, also, uh, like if Bitcoin succeeds, but a lot of people 
you know, don't take Bitcoin seriously and be in charge of their own Bitcoin by being their own bank and they outsource the bank part to a centralized entity, hmm. then uh, the government could be overseeing a large portion of the amount of Bitcoin. And then we can have the 1934 seizure of gold all over again, but with Bitcoin in the year 2034, right? Like if 50, 60% of all Bitcoin is held by government regulated institutions. You know, the government can just make a, you know, uh, the top governments in the world can just make a little secret pact and treaty saying, hey, on Sunday, when all, uh, we're going to just confiscate 60% of the world's Bitcoin and we're going to issue our own fiat on top of it. Or as cryptocurrency. A, you know, right. So it's, uh, you know, the 19, 1934, you know, reincarnated in 2034, right? And, and, and then we're back to the same old system. And then the Bitcoin actually solve anything. Yeah. You know, and, and of course, you know, look, I'm not going to deny the, the bad stuff. Um, now, I believe that societies are becoming less violent every year on a scale. Like if you, no matter how far back you look in history, society, we've always been more violent. I know if you look at the local news, all you see is murder and um, nonsense, right? Yeah. All this nonsense. But in reality, it is safer now, no matter what's almost any city on average, right? Um, you know, you're traveling the world now, uh, is a lot safer than it was 10 years ago. And it's a lot safer than it was 20 years ago. Um, it's be, the world's becoming safer and safer. The news will tell you otherwise, but it's becoming safer and safer. So yeah, if Bitcoin is an anonymous currency, are some people going to use it for bad things and cause harm to others? Of course they are. But as a society, we're becoming less and less violent. So give it another two, three generations. And, um, you know, and it's not going to be as bad. But for now, sure. Yeah, it's true. And a lot of people always say that you can buy drugs with Bitcoin and stuff like that. But come on, the, uh, privacy is good for other things. What if you live in an African country and you want to buy a Bible? And you don't want people to know that you're buying the Bible and you want to buy it online. And I don't know, Bitcoin with a privacy thing, it actually helps you get that without being tracked. I think that might be a good thing. Yeah, that's not it. I mean, Just I, a, I, I, right. No, that, that, that's a very small scale example. I prefer the bigger scale examples. Like what happens during revolutions? You go after the rich people's money first. Uh, what happened in Zimbabwe? Why did their currency collapse? Well, you take away the land from the people that have, you know, the land, right? So, um, I, I, I mean, like you, you, you should only demonize the rich people that have become rich by using government force. If you have become rich as a capitalist voluntarily, and then uh, again, the more uh, power the state has. Uh, in, I mean, like, that's what they do. This is why uh, a lot of states, like, all of a sudden, historically, why countries change religions. Because a religion in your country, all of a sudden, gets all of these donations, and they have more money than the king, and the king wants money, and all of a sudden, the king has found the light of a new religion, and the first thing he does is confiscate all the money and all the gold and all of the treasure from the old religion. And it's not because he found a new religion. He just needed a reason to confiscate the money. Um, so at the end of the day, it comes down to money. And um, that's what has happened historically. 
Now, again, societies are less violent today than before. So there is probably a little bit of less risk than that, but it's still a risk. And when there is a political upheaval in your country, they always blame the capitalists. They always blame the rich. And not because they did something, it's because you have the guns and the power to take away their money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Tom, is there any advice? And I'm going to try and end this because I know you're tired and, and we have been talking for a long time. So is there any advice? You would like to- no, 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 no. I got another podcast that I, I know, just that's delayed. I'm trying to finish this off. The hour. So my uh, being tired is uh, no longer an option. And uh, when you are going to reach the levels of people that you're interviewing. Yeah, I, I can get carried away and talk with you all night, though. So <laughs> tell me something. Is there any advice you would like to give anyone watching right now? Oh, man. Um, have a backup plan on top of a backup plan on top of a backup plan. Like when they say don't put your eggs in one basket, uh, they, 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 they're not specific. They, and it's usually financial. It's got to be mental. Like no matter what you do, you have a backup plan. Have a backup plan if, you know, your company you work for goes out of business. If you're going to quit your job to do something, have a backup plan. Maybe spend one hour a week thinking about that backup plan. But think about that backup plan. I joke around with my audience of what my backup plan is. I'm like, I, I like the whole YouTube thing. So, but if this crypto stuff doesn't work out, I mean, here I have multiple backup plans. I can start trading again. And that's a, that has an A and a B section, right? My a backup plan is I start trading. A, I trade my own money. B, I trade uh, a small family fund with my own money, my friend's money, and my family money. Or C, I trade outside investment money, right? But that is a backup plan. Um, if the crypto thing goes, the whole crypto space, Bitcoin go disappears, the whole crypto space disappears. What do I do? You have to have a plan. I, these are my options. I can start trading again, my money, my family's money, or external money like a hedge fund. That's one plan. The other thing is, sure, crypto might go away, but um, I still like what I do. Um, this is why I educate people cross asset. I don't teach trading Bitcoin. My show is trading Bitcoin because that's my audience, but my show is trading. I can simply pivot, continue doing what I'm doing only without crypto. Do the same thing in traditional markets. There's current, there's effects, there's equities, there's commodities. I can still do what I do only without crypto. That's a second backup plan. I even have a third backup plan. Hey, whether crypto was with us or crypto disappears, I'm tired of doing finance. Maybe I will get sick of finance. Well, I'm going to get back to my prior hobby of diet and exercise. Uh, and I like to travel. If I, if I want to keep traveling, I will do a travel diet and exercise videos. Like, you know, another Anthony Bourdain, only a little bit different, um, uh, uh, but the same concept. Uh, and, and people are like laughing. When I tell them, people are laughing at me saying, you're never going to crack that space. So many people are doing that. It's so common. I'm like, you know what? So I like a challenge. Mm. I did this in YouTube with no experience. And now I have experience. 
I build an audience in crypto and in trading and finance. I want the challenge of building an audience from scratch in diet and exercise videos plus travel, diet, exercise, uh, YouTube channel. And I, I will take on that challenge. So these are three solid backup plans. And if I think about it some more, I'll have more. Uh, but these are the top three that I've already strongly thought about what happens if this doesn't work out. So you, that's the advice I give. No matter what you do, have a backup plan. Tom, thank you so much. We really appreciate that. Uh, thank you for your time. I've learned a lot. I'm sure viewers have learned a lot. Much respect. And I really hope we can do this again one day. Awesome. Thank you. So guys, if you want, go ahead. Well, if you want, you have to do this because this is vital. If you want to succeed in crypto, go ahead in the description down below. You'll find all of Tone's links. I will link them up. You got to learn. Always be learning. And yeah, we will see you next time. Thank you and keep succeeding.